been a wonderful morning already in baptism and in song and, and giving. And if you would now join me as we turn in the Word of God to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We now seek the preaching and the exegeting of God's Word this morning, and I pray that it will be a blessing to you. It has been very comforting for me this week and reassuring in the times that we are living in. We will finish out today 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as we close out today, it is very understandable that God has, through His providence, brought us through this book, this letter, uh, as we are looking to be a healthy church, but also that He now brings us and has walked us through chapter 15 for such a time as this. That by God's divine will, we have walked through this teaching of Paul on the resurrection in a time where death is at the forefront of everyone's mind. Where we see that COVID and death and sickness are the main headline of every news cycle when you turn it on. Every time you get on Facebook or Twitter or whatever you social media you get on, it seems to be... The very thing that just keeps popping up over and over and over again. And just when we thought that things were getting better, we are told over and over again that we have a new reason to fear. That we must not live in peace just yet. You, you must wait a little bit longer. And so the fear of death has led us over the last year and a half to do many things that normally we would not do. And to lock, us our, lock ourselves away from loved ones, and for a time, even forsake the commands of God. And, and churches still do. They do not meet. Others have dwindled in attendance, and others meet, but they, they meet under the rule of law and not grace. You must have your passport, your vaccine passport, if you are to enter in. You must sit six feet apart from one another, and you must wear your mask. You must not hug or fellowship at all, physically touch one another at all. All of which I believe can, we can say is, is in violation of God's command. And so this has been our past year and a half. And if that is not enough, we are told that the only way that you can escape this fear and the only way that you can live with assurance that you will live is that if you follow the system of the world, that if you follow those who are smart enough and bright enough and have the right degrees and experience the right things, then you and I can live in peace. You do, you follow the world, then, then we can have peace and hope. I agree with Charles Spurgeon that it is the very natural thing to fear death because man was not originally created to die. But I must trust, as Spurgeon himself did, that because of Christ, death has lost its sting. And death has been swallowed up in victory. And if that is true, if there is a resurrection, and not just a resurrection, but if there is a resurrection to better life, then what this world truly needs is not another system. 
And what this world truly needs is not another ingenious idea of man. But what this world truly needs is hope. What this world needs, brothers and sisters, is resurrection hope. Not hope as in, I hope so. Not hope as in, just maybe, just maybe I can make it. No, no. For when the Bible speaks of hope, the Bible speaks of hope as victory assured. It will happen. Why? Why will it happen? Because Christ on the cross said, it is finished. He has settled it. And so what this world needs, brothers and sisters, today is for Christians who are not shaken by death, but they embrace it willingly and peacefully and joyfully and always, always abounding in the mission of Christ to point others to Christ that they themselves may know peace and joy as we know it in this time. As Churgeon says, the Christian who contemplates death, he does so with joy, or the Christian who contemplates death with joy is a living sermon. And so now we come to the very end of 1 Corinthians 15. The very end, which the big idea of these last few verses that Paul gives us this morning is resurrection hope. This world has hope. A world of death and sickness and suffering has hope, and it is not found in the world. It's not. It is found in Christ. And so this morning, Paul will expound on the triumph, the victory over death, which gives us present hope today, and where you get to live as living sermons to the world. There are three headings for this morning's text. We will look at the victorious end, the victorious champion, and then finally we will look at our victorious life. And so if you will, look with me in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 58, and if God so wills, next week we'll be at Matthew 1, and then the following week we will close out the year in chapter 16, and we will have finished the book of 1 Corinthians. So look with me this morning in verses 50 through 58. Paul writes, he says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery that we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But then this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on the immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my beloved, be steadfast. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Amen and amen. And may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. If you will, I want you to notice the victorious end. And I'm going to try to be very quick with this very first heading because we've kind of already looked at it. Paul just kind of brings it to its fulfillment here and gives us the reason behind what he's already said. You may remember back in verses 40 through, uh, 43 and 44, those wonderful words that we looked at. Actually, 42 and then um, 43 and 44, where he talks about 
that so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, raised imperishable. It is sown dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. And the natural body, sown in natural bodies, raised in spiritual bodies. So we remember that when we die and we are resurrected on the, at the end, there's going to be this grand glorification, this grand transformation. We get these glorified new bodies. And we say, well, how do we know that? Well, because we will be like Christ who was glorified. Well, Paul now brings us to the very reason in which this transformation takes place. If you notice that he tells us that we cannot inherit the kingdom of God in this imperishable, weak, sinful, natural body. You cannot enter into the presence of God in your sinful flesh. The natural sinful body that we presently possess is not suited for heaven, nor will it be suited for the new earth. And so there must be a transformation. We must put on something new, something that is not perishable, that is not weak, that is not sinful. It is very much like Joseph who was in the Egyptian dungeon and he is brought out of the dungeon. And what do they do before they bring him to Pharaoh? They shave his beard. They give him new clothes. And he stands before Pharaoh. Eventually he then becomes the second most powerful in Egypt. And then he's even given greater clothes and a a signet ring on on his hand. Just as Joseph could not stand in the presence of Pharaoh or rule as second most powerful in Egypt in his dungeon clothes, those dirty, nasty old clothes, brothers and sisters, you cannot stand in the presence of God and labor and worship God in eternity in what we are presently now. There must be a transformation. And so Paul says that when the end comes, this transformation will take place. We notice there that he says that there, there will be even those who are not dead. And so the question is raised. What about those that when Christ returns, they're not dead? Well, he says that in the twinkling of an eye, that very quickly they themselves will be caught up in the air with Christ. And they will undergo the same transformation. We know this from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. That those who are alive will meet Christ in the air. Those who are in the grave, those who are dead, will meet him first. But we will all be transformed into this new imperishable body. But that is not the end. If you notice that he tells us here that when this takes place, then death is swallowed up. Notice verse 54. But when the perishable will I put on the imperishable and this mortal will I put on the immortality. So when the transformation takes place, he says, will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up. Isaiah 25, 8. This will be the full realization of this prophecy. If you remember, the apostle told us previously in this very chapter that when the end comes, death will be abolished. It will be no more. This is the victorious end of the Christian. When we are raised from the grave, we will be given a new body and death will cease to be. That's what that Greek means. The word swallow means to be completely and suddenly uh, disappear. What does that look like? How, how does this work out in the end and in, in this, this blink of an eye and this, the dead being raised and, the, and the, those who are living be caught up? Charles Linsky, who is, a, as I told Brother Trey, a, a commentary writer that I have, I have really begun to like a lot, says, says it this way, and I think in the providence of God and when, now that we do this, you'll understand. He writes, he says, death is not merely destroyed so that it cannot do further harm while all the harm which has wrought on God's children remains 
He says the tornado is not merely checked so that no additional homes are wrecked while those that were wrecked still lie in ruin. Praise God that the tornadoes that touched down this past weekend, that eventually they stopped and more people and and less people were harmed and less damage was done. But when you turn around and you look to the path of the tornado, what do you see but ruin, right? And many of us think that this is the way it will be when Christ come. But Linsky says no. He says, no, death and all of its apparent victories will be undone for the children of God. What looks like a victory for death and like a defeat for us when our bodies die and decay shall be utterly reversed so that death dies in absolute defeat and our bodies live again in absolute victory. In other words, brothers and sisters, when this end comes and when death comes to its final moment, and it may be a little bit cocky, and it may go, you can take me, but I've done enough damage. And it's almost as if you could see God going, really? Just turn around and look. And death, with great confidence, turns to look and say, look at all of the damage. There will be none. There will be none. And death will ask, where are all the people who died? Where are all the Christians that I put into the grave? And God will say, they are alive. And not only are they alive, death, they are better than they have ever been. Brothers and sisters, do you see what that is? That is the glorious end of the believer. That is how this is all going to be played out. The casualties of death will be reversed and we will be transformed. And our victory, and, and the, death of, the, the victory is not that death just stops killing and people just stop going into the grave. No, it's that every Christian who had ever died, who believed in Christ, who placed their faith in Christ, will rise from the grave never to die again. Death will have no casualties of war. This is not like going to war and winning the great victory, but you're overshadowed by the loss of of soldiers. No, our victorious end will be a glorious transformation and a reversal and a disappearance of death never to be seen again. Beloved, is this not your assured hope? In the light of what we have lived in the last year and a half, is this not your assured hope? In the light of what we deal with day after day after day. What is our assured hope? Roe versus Wade. Millions and millions and millions of children killed. And Satan laughs. But on this day, oh brothers and sisters, he will stop laughing. Because all that have been murdered, all who are in Christ who have died, will be undone. And be transformed. And it will be death. It will be Satan that is cast into the great eternal fire. Brothers and sisters, this is what allows you to live today with joy. It is heaven. It is your victorious end that gives you hope. And so I would encourage you this morning that you must live, as Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, that you must set your mind on things that are above and not on things on this earth. In all honesty, some of you have just got to stop watching the news and quit and get your mind off the things of the earth and get your mind in the Word of God and be reminded of the great victory that you have in Christ. I look to heaven and not to this earth. This is not my home. 
And so when the shadow of death falls on you, and you know that it is approaching you, when the shadow of death falls upon us, brothers, and this approach grows nearer by the day, and we know that any hour, it may be any hour, it may be any second that my time on this earth is done, where will your mind be? I pray that it is on the promise of God that death, you may come to me, but I will not stay dead. I pray that it is on the promise of God's victory that death, not only will you come, but know this, not only will I rise, I will not be the same, I will be better. What about when death visits a Christian loved one, a brother and a sister, a grandma, a grandpa, a father, a mother, a child? What do you do? You set your mind on this earth, and this earth is nothing but death and sorrow and sickness. There is no joy in that. Or do you, in that moment of death, do you look toward heaven and say, God, you have promised You have promised that this casket will not stay full and that one day it will be empty and the one who resides in this casket will rise from the grave. Is that where your hope is? As the world lives in fear and death, brothers and sisters, we set our minds on the hope of knowing that one day death will be no more. Christmas, brothers and sisters, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, the birth of life, it's not just that a baby was born, it is that God was, came into this world and took on flesh that we may live. God is with us. And I would say if you struggle with this, as you say, Brother Brian, I struggle in the shadow of death. I struggle with setting my mind on those promises and, and placing my faith there. Listen, if you struggle in that, hear me this morning. You must be like the father of the demon-possessed boy who comes to Jesus as his son lay there wallowing in his misery and he comes to the Lord and he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. In other words, Jesus, I I want to believe you're the Messiah and I, I do, but I'm struggling with this. Help my unbelief. And many of us in this world, we must come to Christ if we struggle with these promises, to grasp these promises and ask the Lord to help us with our unbelief, to help us set our mind upon Christ and Christ alone and the victory that he has promised us. But secondly, I want you to notice the victorious, the victorious champion. Look at verses 55 and 57. It's not just enough that this is our end, but notice why we have this end. Notice that he says, he says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I I love this. Paul is not paralyzed by death, and many scholars believe that he is actually taunting death. And he does so by using Hosea 13, 14 to mock and taunt death. O death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Now, why does death not paralyze him? And by the way, this is, this is not unique to Paul. David taunted Goliath. Elijah taunted the, the uh, prophets of Baal. Daniel was confident and would not bow to the king, though he faced death in a lion's den. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is not something that is rare amongst the people of God who look fear and death and sickness in the eyes and and we are not shaken and unmoved so why is paul not paralyzed by death 
Well, here's my question to you, brothers and sisters. Does a bee with no stinger cause you to fear? A scorpion with no stinger, which I think those things are of the devil, by the way. Those are the worst things ever created. A stinger, a scorpion with no stinger, does it cause you to fear? A snake or a spider with no fangs. Are you scared? It has no way of harming you. It has no way to poison you. No, we are not afraid. Why? Though the bee may fly, though the bee may land on us, we are not afraid because he cannot hurt us. And neither does death. Why? For when Christ died and rose from the grave, death left the stinger, its stinger in Christ, just as when a bee stings its victim, he leaves the stinger in never to receive it again. And so when our Lord and Savior went to the cross and death stung him, brothers and sisters, and when he rose to the grave, death lost its power. Death may still be around, but it has no stinger. It has no poison for the believer. The sting of death. Notice verse 56 and 57. He says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, well, how can this be? How did death lose its stinger? How can, I mean, it's still there. It still happens. Why do you say it has no poison? It has no pain for the believer. Well, notice that death isn't just something that just happens for no reason. Death is not random. It doesn't just, it's not just here by accident. It is the result of the deadly poison of sin that on the day that Adam ate of the forbidden fruit, that Adam transgressed the law of God, Death entered in. Death is the result of sin, which becomes all the more energized in our lives through the acquaintance of God's law. For without sin, there would be no death, but without the law, there would be no sin. Brothers and sisters, the law reveals our sin. The law is the very thing that shows you how horrible your sin is and how you yourself need to be, that you are under judgment and you need to be punished for your sin. And this is why death has reigned undefeated, an undefeated champion for so long. Because man could not obey the law perfectly. That is the whole point of the Old Testament. Well, more than that, but, but we see that. We see the law of God and we see man doing everything he can to keep the law, but he can't. And we see that we see in Genesis chapter 5 that after Adam sinned, what do we, what do we, and so and so lived this many years and had this many daughters and he died, the brothers, sons and daughters and he died, and so and so lived this many years and he had this many sons and daughters and he died and he died. We see death reigning over and over. Why? Because it is the result of sin. And man cannot undo sin. The law of God demands perfect obedience. And so therefore, you and I are not perfect, nor can we ever be perfect. It stings anyone who falls short. And this is why we all die. We die because we are sinners. And so if you want to conquer death, if you want to reverse what it does, if you want to remove the fear of death, you must conquer sin. FBC, this is the reason why there will never be a champion among our ranks. This is the reason why there is never going to be a champion rise up in our own day 
because humanity cannot conquer its own sin. We can create a system of do's and don'ts, but yet the worldly systems that we create come from sinful people, and they are not perfect, and nor will they conquer sin. We can follow all of the science, and I am not against science. I am not against medical things or anything of that nature. Those of you know know that I am not. I'm very thankful for all the things that God has given us, but our hope was never to be placed in those things. Worldly systems as politics can never remove the fear of death nor stop death. Exercise and fitness and eating right will not remove the fear of death nor will it guarantee that you will die in a really old age. For one, I'm kind of happy because I'm not very good at neither one of those things. Brothers and sisters, we have created a world in which we say, if I do this, then this won't happen. And so therefore we have placed our hope in man and all the things that man has come up with. But the problem is, is that we and our systems can never remove the cause of death, which is your sin. And so therefore, we need a greater champion. We need someone who is greater, someone who is more powerful. We need Christ who comes not from the earth, but comes from heaven. And this is why in verse 57 that Paul writes, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory comes not from this world. It comes not from within me. The victory comes from Christ. Why? Because Christ was born of a virgin. Christ was placed, came from heaven, and placed under the law of God, but Christ kept the law perfectly. Therefore, the sting of death could never fall upon him unless he would offer himself up as a sacrifice that he may remove the sting of death from all those who have broken the law. And so Jesus, who has not broken the law, offers himself up as a sacrifice for us. And just when death falls upon him and it begins to roar in laughter that the Son of God is dead, on the third day Jesus Christ rises from the grave with the stinger of death and he does exactly as God said he would do in Genesis chapter 3 where he places it upon under his heel and he crushes the head of the serpent and he begins to reverse death. Why? Because he dealt with our sin. That's how you deal with death. That's how you conquer it and you remove the fear of it. Our champion is not this world. Our champion is not ourselves. It is Christ who removes sin. And so if you want to conquer death, if you want to conquer your fear, if you want to live, brothers and sisters, there is only one thing in this world that, has greater, that is far greater than the fear of death, and that is the hope of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If you are afraid this morning, hear me, you will, not, you will not get rid of your fear of death and your fear of sickness and suffering any way but your hope in Jesus Christ. And so only through the assurance of having our sins removed and made right with God can we have this. And so I ask you this morning, have your sins been removed? And again, we, we want to act like the sin of lying and the sin of this, brother and sister. It's not, the, it's not one particular sin. It's the nature of sin. It's, it's the fact that I have a nature that is sinful. So, so I ask you, has your sins been removed? If not, you have no hope. 
And so if not, I would plead upon you this morning that you would conquer your fear of sin and conquer your fear of death by coming to Christ this morning, our great champion who died in your place and who rose in victory. And he offers to you today the free gift of salvation. And he calls upon you to come, come to me and let me be your champion. Oh, brothers and sisters, if there is one here this morning who is not a who is not a believer, come to Christ and have your sin removed. And I can tell you and I can promise you from experience. You will find peace. Even if the shadow of death falls upon you. Even if one around you dies, you will find peace. Oh, come to the champion of Christ. I ask you if your sins been removed and if you say, Brother Brian, my sins are removed. And praise be to God. Live in this. Live in the light of this. That to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. Place your focus on Christ for your hope is found in Christ and in nothing else. Be reminded, Christian, He has placed the stinger of death under His heel. It cannot poison you or hurt you anymore you don't have to live in that and then finally i want you to see the victorious life notice what he writes in the final verse he says therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast and movable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that your toil is not in vain in the lord now notice that little word that two-letter word be it is present imperative this is not an option this is a command of god God is saying, because Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is telling us, Christian, because of all 57 verses that I have given you in this chapter, I now command you, do not be shaken by death. Do not be shaken by death. Do not be moved by death, but abound in the work. So steadfast and immovable. What he means there is that you are fixed in place and secure, and you're not tossed here and there. The Corinthians were being tossed back and forth by the doctrines of resurrection. And he tells them to stop. But it, it applies to you and I as well in the shadow of death, that we are not to allow the fear and the shadow of death to, to toss us back and forth in this world because, because we have Christ, we have a champion, we have a victorious end. And so he says, be steadfast, plant your feet and do not be moved. It is a command. Then he also says, but always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always means, it means uh, abounding means all time. I'm sorry, always means at all times, never stopping. And abounding means to exceed the requirement. In other words, you do more than what is expected. Now, I love this. Because what he's saying here in the context of this chapter is, is that in light of the shadow of, of death, we are not to be shaken nor or move, but we are actually to work even harder and bring about a labor that many people would not expect. We see this, that the fear of death falls upon us so we do less because it may better our chances of living or there may be the fear of sickness, or there may be the fear of pain, and so I do less so that I may not get sick, or I may not have to suffer. But Paul says, according, under the inspiration of God, says, no, 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 in light of all that I have given you, even in the shadow of death, you are to abound always in the labor of God. You are to live a victorious life. And so in the context of this chapter, Paul is saying that because death has no hold on us, we can live and we can labor more than expected. Fear of death need not hinder us. 
the fear of death need not hinder our Christian work. The work of Christ can continue in spite of the shadow of death. FBC, this is the history of the church. It has always been the history of the church. When the black plague came, it was said that it was the Christian faith that was immovable. And I don't have time to, to read to you everything that I, that I read, but it's really interesting that the pagans would push their loved ones into the streets as though they were already dead if they became sick. According to one French chronicler, nuns at one city hospital, having no fear of death, would tend to the sick with all sw- sweetness and humility. And then when they died, a new nun would re- new nuns would replace them doing the same work. And they would continue in their devoutness to Christ. Or how about Martin Luther? That in 1527, when the plague had come to Wittenberg, he was ordered to leave the city. Everyone else was leaving. All them who were healthy were leaving. And, and Martin Luther was ordered, you must leave the city. But he said, no, I will not leave. I will not leave those who are sick. I will not leave those who are dying. And he didn't just mean those physically. For Martin Luther stayed to care for the sick and the dying, preaching the gospel of Christ, administering the sacraments, visiting the sick in their homes, providing pastoral care and practical care, and eventually even converting his own house into a makeshift hospital. And do not believe, brothers and sisters, that this did not go unnoticed by the world. Because in the book, Triumph of Christianity, the author details how in the first four centuries, it was Christianity that rose and paganism that fell. Why? Because in the midst of the plagues, they could not deny the immovable, unshakable, always abounding work of the Christian. For as he says, the pagans waned in first century For they pushed the sufferers away and fled while Christians met the obligation to care for the sick rather than to desert. This did not go unnoticed by the world. And so in in times of great fear and sickness and death, it has always been the Christian who lived victoriously. Why? Because the faith of Christians cannot be shaken. Notice I didn't say the Christian can't be shaken, because I can be shaken. But my faith in God, the one who holds me fast, he cannot be shaken. And because of this faith, the Christians would not be moved, and they would labor even more. They would preach even more. They would gather for worship even more. They would work and, and labor for the sick even more. And they would live victoriously for Christ. Why? Because their faith nor their work was in vain. Listen to the first question and answer to the Heidelberg Catechism. I think this explains the faith that is immovable and unshakable. What is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. Notice that all the power of the devil. That includes fear. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of the Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. 
And so therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life, and he makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life. I am assured of the end. I am assured I have a champion. Therefore, he makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Beloved, is this not a living sermon? Does this not make you a living sermon today, a a testimony of faith? That if you follow this, if you grab this and God works in you in this and and he brings this to your understanding and he, he saturates you in this, that you follow this command, would it not be a testimony before the whole world? I ask you this morning, are you abounding? Are you, are you following this command? Are you being steadfast? Are you being immovable? Are you abounding in the work of the Lord despite the possibility of sickness and the possibility of death? COVID or not, death is always crouching at our door. Are you abounding? This is a command. Are you abounding? If not, why not? If you're, not be, if you're being shaken and, and, you, and you're being tossed back and forth and, and you're not abounding in the work of the Lord, why not? Ask yourself, why not? Is it because you're not saved? Is it because Christ is not in you and so therefore you fear death? Therefore you, you, your sins have not been dealt with? Then hear me this morning, brothers and sisters. I have good news for you today. There is a champion. You can be saved today. You can have your sins dealt with today. You can have your sins washed away today. You can have your sins cast as far as the east is to the west today. And you can walk out of this place assured that your death will end in victory. Jesus Christ can be your champion today. Do not wait. If this is why you fear, do not wait. Come and know the assurance and the love of a Savior Come and know the peace of God this morning. Come, come to the altar. Come, go to a brother and sister. Go and find someone. Run to them and say, I need to know this Lord and this Savior. If not, why not, Christian? Is it because you doubt? Do you doubt these promises? No one laughs at that. We understand man was not originally meant to die, so we understand that this is a fight of the flesh. This is the issue of sanctification. This is a war. But let me encourage you, dear Christian, that in your doubting, let me take you on a journey over the seas to a place where there is a tomb. And when you walk into that tomb, what you will find is there is no body. It is the tomb of Christ. If you doubt and you are in need of encouragement this morning, go and look to the tomb. Look to the Word of God and see that that tomb is empty. And if that tomb is empty, then your tomb will one day be empty as well. Oh, run to the Savior who is alive and let Him wrap His arms around you, Christian, and to encourage you and to reassure you as a parent who reassures his child, you too will rise from the grave. If not, then why not? 
Is it because you have hoped in this world? Well, what does it gain of an individual who gains the whole world but loses his soul? You have placed your hope in the world. You have looked to this world and its systems. And if that is you, that if you think maybe for a moment that if I eat just right and I exercise just enough, and if I do this and I, and I do that, and if I do this and I vote this person into politics and, and I follow this person and I do, if I do all of these things, then, then maybe I can just live with peace and hope that I won't die just yet. You have hoped in the wrong things. And like Solomon, you are chasing after the wind. You will not find it in these things. These things can never offer you a life that will be lived victoriously. And so, dear Christian, let me suggest to you today something that you and I sing all the time. Dear Christian, place your hope on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. For we dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And when darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and every stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, His covenant, His blood supports me in the whelming flood. That when all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. For all other ground is sinking sand. Well, brother and sister, this is our rock. It was your rock when you came to Jesus, when you walked through those baptisms. It was your rock when you walked through those baptism waters. It is your rock today, and it will be your rock forever. Would you please come? Would you come and place your hope on the rock of Jesus Christ? Because you will find that everything else is sinking sand. And when you come and when you stand on Christ, you will be victorious now and in the end. Because our champion won the victory. Let's pray.